whether you eat or drink. Whatever you do. 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 Or whatever you do. Do all to the glory of God. Welcome to Whatever You Do. I'm Danny. And I'm Abby. We're just best friends trying to figure out how to bring glory to God in whatever you do. Here we are, as promised. We came back, even after missing a couple weeks before last week. <laughs> I know. It felt like a struggle. Did, but what I meant was last week we said maybe we'll come back. Yes, yes. Okay. And this is us coming <laughs> And we brought a special. We came through. Guest appearance. Welcome, we Melissa. Sure happened. Hi, guys. She's here. Glad that we uh, wrangled her into coming down here. <laughs> we kind of forced her into it after last week's promise of yeah, she saying really she'd had, join us. She really had no choice. No. She'd look like the big jerk if she... We're holding her hostage <laughs> to be here. Yeah. Just like the government is holding us hostage. <laughs> <in our> houses. <laughs> if that wasn't a good segue into our coronavirus discussion, I don't know what is. Tell me why you really feel. Oh, man. So, what week are we on of coronavirus? I, know, I have zero clue. It's been a while. It's May. Yeah, and it it's May first. Started in March, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. something like that. Yep. I mean, yeah, that's when everything went crazy. I think it's been like a month and a half. Yeah, of this. Um, and we're in Arizona to clarify for the people who maybe not know that, because every state is doing things the same and different. The same and different, but. I feel like it's just crazy how certain states are reacting and other states aren't. I feel like the spectrum is very wide depending on the state that you live in. It's true. But I think there's very few states that are on the more uh, lenient side of the spectrum. Yes, I would agree. I think there's like seven of them. If that. I don't even know. I don't know. Um, so... What is it like here in Arizona? Well, our governor just extended his stay home, stay healthy, stay connected. Is that what it was called? Executive order. We have not had the extreme shelter in place. Shelter in place. Well, it's that was like a recommendation, but... But it hasn't been the extreme order that a lot of other states have had as far as, like, you can't leave unless you're going to the grocery store. I would still say it's, like... That's kind of what recommend- they hope. Yes. I, we're more, like, loose in the fact of, like, they're like, we recommend you don't leave. Other states are like, we're going to lock you up and put you in jail if you do. Right. Like, Even though I don't really know how they have any way to dictate and know where people are really going or what people are really know. doing. Did you see that video um, of a mom from Wisconsin who the police came to her door because she let her daughter go to the neighbor's house to play with their kids? And they had come to her door, and it was the second time they had been there that day. And they were like, do you know the governor's order? And she's like, I know it. And they're like, well, then you're not allowed to be having your daughter play at the neighbor. And they're talking to her like she's an idiot. And she's like... Well, I'm like I don't agree with that. It's not okay. And they're like, "What's your last name?" And she like refused to give him her last name. And and they were like, "You can't have your daughter play there." Is she the one videoing this? Yeah, yeah, it was. But that they're like knocking on her door, telling her. Did you see the video of the guy in Gilbert from tonight? I didn't watch the video. Took his dog to the vet. I didn't watch the. Oh, video. not the video. Just the just, story. Yeah, yeah, I was like, yeah. I didn't know there was a video. no. There were just pictures and a yeah. story. Mm-hmm. What was it? Uh, it was in Gilbert, Arizona? Yeah. I didn't know where it was. Yeah. Oh, right. Great. Just a Super. little jaunt away from us. Um, he got out of his car and was in a parking lot to get into his wife's car, but he hadn't gotten in the car yet. And some lady standing guard at the vet- veterinarian's office started yelling at him that she was going to call the police since he wasn't wearing a face mask. <laughs> So he was like, 
fucking call the police. And so three officers came who said that they had been called because someone diagnosed with COVID-19 was threatening (laughs) people. Oh, wow. Which he isn't aware that he's been diagnosed with (laughs) COVID-19. She said all while the vet was holding our dog hostage. Yeah. It was someone from the vet's office. That was... That was freaking that out was about calling. it. Wow. And yeah. it sounds like... It and he had already, like, paid person. them for his dog. Oh. And... Yeah. yeah. The first officer sounded like, like they were kind of being reasonable, but then yeah. the other two officers came up and wanted his identification, and he's like, I don't think I've done anything wrong. Can you tell me what I've done so wrong? So then he ended up saying that he was trespassing, and if he comes back, he was going to be arrested. But he was a paying customer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't have a face mask on. In the parking lot. Wow. Yeah. So that's real special. <laughs> so why is this a problem? What's wrong with this? If we just love our neighbor, we everyone would have a face mask on. I think that the problem is that it's really hard to go back once you've started going in one direction mm-hmm. and so far they've had over a month to show us what we're really worried supposed to be worried about mm-hmm. and ultimately it's hard to even trust the data we are seeing for me right. that's my biggest problem right now because it's been like grossly grossly blown out of proportion of like what their models that they made said this how this was going to play out even with sheltering in place right and then you hear anecdotal things about being pressured to put COVID-19 as the on the death certificates when it was presumed but hadn't come back as a positive I mean even the CDC themselves said that, like, if it's a positive, if they are, if they die and test positive for COVID nineteen, it's that's that goes on the like death certificate as the reason of death. Right. So, I mean, they're even say like they're openly admitting that that's whether someone died in a car accident and then they came to the hospital and they tested positive for COVID nineteen. It had nothing to do with the car accident. It's still a COVID nineteen death. Right. So, I think. Um, yeah, like kind of what you said, there's, there seem to be two sectors of people. Yeah. There's people who are of the thought that the government is making these decisions for our safety and our well-being, and we have to make some sacrifices, and... But it's for the good of everyone else, and it's... And then All you working together for have one people cause. who don't necessarily think that the government is handling things appropriately by quarantining healthy people, right? And see the the collapse of the economy mm-hmm. happening, beginning to happen it has not happened yet, which is partly why so many people are still feeling really comfortable with. What's going on? It has started to happen for some people I mean, in yeah. individual lives as oh, yeah. far as people not having jobs and not getting unemployment and mm-hmm. not mm. being able to pay bills. And so I think there is um, confusion as to why all of the states, even though you said that states are handling this very differently at the same time many of the states that are handling it more drastically Mm -hmm. are doing so out of all of them who are who are putting any of these things into place are doing so at the recommendation of the cdc and from the white house from a federal level yeah but they're putting these restrictions into place over States and counties and cities that don't have problems. Right. At this point. Yes. So, at that point, it just starts to seem like it's an infringement upon freedoms and Mm -hmm. 
it starts making less sense and seems a little bit unconstitutional. A little bit. Yeah. But I just want to say that while I feel strongly convicted in one area, um, I have talked to people who are feel strongly who believers who I respect and love and admire who f- feel strongly convicted to handle things mm-hmm. completely the opposite as I do. Mm-hmm. And I think that the thing we have to remember as believers is that God does convict us in different ways at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's okay to be living out what you feel strongly called to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think at the same time that we should like shy away from the discussions of it. Not at all. And I think we need to have discussion uh, surrounding it. And um, it's frustrating, I think, when you ha- hold the viewpoint that we shouldn't be shutting down businesses this way for this long, mm-hmm. that we need to be working. Um, when people who hold that opinion get viewed as, well, you just don't care about anybody and you just want people to die and right, you're just not loving your neighbor. When it's like, well, no, I'm actually thinking about the long-term repercussions and right. trying to think of what is most loving. There's Right, of letting healthy people get back to work and provide for their families so that... It's not even just providing for their families. Right. The amount of aid and help that, as Americans, we are blessed to be in strong financial situations often to be able to help many people around the world. And when we are put into financial crisis, it trickles down to Mm -hmm. many other countries. Yeah. Um, and that's not an arrogant statement that I believe that is all from God's gracious hand. I don't believe that's because of any, mm-hmm. you know, thing that I'm not saying that I was like, well, if we're poor, then everybody's going to be poor. But it's just a fact that there is a lot of wealth here and it does um, affect how other countries operate. So I've been all over the place on this over the weeks. Um, what were your first thoughts when, at the very beginning of? I think I definitely struggled somewhat more in the beginning, as far as still feeling really guarded to like what's actually happening, but. Um, wanting to be extra cautious like not at that point not knowing what that the data that they were giving us wasn't actually going to play out that way you know I was wanting to be more cautious like we talked about in other episodes we didn't it didn't really change our lives much because we school our kids at home Tim works from home like we don't really go many places except the grocery store anyway um but even when I was going to the grocery store, I was extra cautious to wash my hands before and after and do those types of things that in a normal situation, I wouldn't be like super... Quite as... Yes. Right. Um, and same with like, if, if one of my kids had a fever that I was pretty, pretty sure was from teething, I just would be more cautious with those types of things than... You know, I maybe otherwise. Um, so I think I was cautious, but I was still unsure how it was going to play out and what all, what to what extent we are supposed to be living that out. I guess, um, but it didn't feel like we, at that point we had to make a whole lot of drastic decisions because it kind of was just our normal mm-hmm. life. I mean, I guess. We did make the decision to not to separate our three families. Like we didn't stop seeing each other. Right. So that was probably like I know in some states and in some communities, you, you don't even see your neighbors. 
Right. And I think it seems like in our area, it's just kind of a split yes. decision on mm-hmm. how that goes. But I don't feel like it's completely... I, I don't know. I think, like you're saying, so many people started from such drastically different circumstances mm-hmm. than we did that when they're suddenly stopping all of the normal things in their life, it was probably easier to feel like we need to stop seeing our friends and our family too because why why would we be not having our kids go to school and not going to our jobs and right. all of these things. Like, we need to not be seeing anyone. Um, but I think there's... We've still seen in our, our neighborhood at least people visiting each other and yeah. leaving mm-hmm. and coming and going. It hasn't felt like we're totally right. crazily standing out from everyone or something. But for the most part, it's think- not like we... I mean... We're going out with a ton of other families either. Like, we saw other people, but, I mean, similarly to, like, if our families had the flu and we had already been all with each other, it kind of felt like, mm-hmm. feels like, well. It, yeah, are we really going to not? I mean, part of a huge reason that we all moved the wheel. <laughs> I was already here. That you guys moved onto the street was so we could live in close community. And yeah. so... That kind of has come these whole three years with, well, we get sick, you guys might get sick, and not that we don't try to prevent that some, but it just... Yeah. I feel like we take it sickness by sickness, and depending on the season of life that we're in, too, we may be more strict on that than others, but I think by the time we realize someone's sick, it kind of feels like, well, we've already all hung out all day, so... Oh, well. Yeah. Um... So, Melissa, Gabe is a nurse. Mm-hmm. Did either of you feel more, um, not like worried, but did it feel like a higher sense of potential exposure and responsibility at the beginning of when everything started? Yeah, I would say I definitely felt that kind of... Um, like you said, responsibility to protect other people because I knew that we potentially could be exposed from Gabe. And um, I chose a lot of the time, most of the time, that I went out to wear a mask just in case I had anything that Gabe had brought home. Um, I didn't want to spread it to anybody else. And I, I chose from fairly early on not to take my kids with me. Um, to stores and stuff like that, just just in case. Have you still been continuing to wear a mask? Um, I would say I now wear maybe 50% of the time. Hmm, I didn't know that. I Did didn't you know? know. I didn't know that either. That's very interesting. Also, prior to COVID-19, were you still choosing to take your kids with you to the grocery stores? That's the part I'm... <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> wait, why would you... Yes. Okay. Um, my kids really like to get out. And I feel like it's... Especially the little ones. So often I'll just take the little ones. Okay. And you um, were you just sh- shifted in that when the COVID-19 stuff started happening. Yeah. Okay. And they were really disappointed at first. But now they're just used to me leaving. But, yeah, before I would often take them wherever I went because they like it. And I would take the little ones when the big kids were at Eagle Ridge. Oh, right. And that was usually a day you did a lot of your shopping, so yep. it just sort of made sense, too. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you feeling about the increased recommendation that everyone should be wearing masks out at all times? <laughs> Well, aside from uh, any sort of financial benefit, Melissa has a mask-making business, so, you know, if you need to hit her up, go ahead. Um, I've, I've really seen... I've paid attention to, like, the mask data a little bit just because I am making them, and I feel like I have a little bit of a responsibility to try to make them well and to... Um, 
like not make them for no purpose, you know. Mm-hmm. But I I've seen things that go either way, and I I I think that probably it it doesn't protect you very much, the wearer of the mask, um, and I think. It, it, it's mostly to protect others, and whether or not it actually does that, I have no idea. Um, and I think it really also depends on the mask that's being worn. Mm-hmm. And so you can't just say, like, for all masks, it does nothing, because I think that there's a spectrum of masks that, you know, some really don't do anything, and some do a lot more. So for me, I think part of my my greatest conflict is that there's kind of two different, um, I don't know what to call them, but lines of thinking kind of being spouted off. One is that this is an extremely deadly and serious virus. Um, when you compare the number of deaths to the number of cases, so the number of people who have died out of the number of people who have shown to have had it. Mm-hmm. Um, the masks seem to fall along the line of thinking that there are a lot of asymptomatic carriers mm-hmm. out there, that you're not really going to know that you're sick. And so you should just wear a mask, even if you feel completely fine, because you could be carrying around this virus and giving it to everybody. Mm-hmm. My problem with that is that they those two things can't really go together, because you either have the really deadly side of things, and you're only really talking about the people who really are sick, or... If you include all these people, apparently, that need to be wearing masks because they're just spreading it around to everyone without knowing that they have it, that would then make the death mortality of it Mm -hmm. a lot lower because then a lot more people have it. And Mm -hmm. so it's not actually as dangerous. It's just the fact that so many people have it all at once and some people are dying from it. So I think that's what really feels super inconsistent to me on a daily basis that makes me want to push back against wearing masks is you can't you there's there's it really makes it there's not a reason to wear them either way you look at it kind of I mean in the sense that we're not going to do this, we don't do this for all these other viruses that can also... Yeah, for sure. ...kill people. So. I, I do think, though, for the people that are at risk, like the elderly and people that mm-hmm. already have respiratory issues, I do think it is really serious. And I... I agree I've personally that. seen a lot of elderly people like out at the store and that surprises me the most honestly what else are they gonna do well i think that there's a lot of options i think okay but if they're not if they don't have a lot of money and they don't have family that i mean our culture we don't take care of our elderly people so yes i would agree so if they're not having family that's taking care of them or maybe they're here when their family's back in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just saying, I think that it's possible that there are a lot of elderly people that actually need to go to the store. Okay. So if that's the case, are you then saying that they should be wearing masks or that everyone not else in everyone the store should? I'm not masks. saying they should. I'm not saying they should. I'm just saying, to me... I don't know. I've been wearing a mask, like I said, a lot of the time, and I it's really not a big deal to me. Like, I just don't... I don't mind it. And when I see older people, like, especially at a place like Superstition Ranch Market where you can't go six feet. Like, there's just not room. Yeah. You know, there's just too many people in there, and it's... I don't know. They're not monitoring the amount of people last time I went. And so, 
for and that's where a lot of elderly people live is over there. Mm-hmm. They're going there to get cheap produce and I just feel better about being there wearing a mask myself knowing that just in case that hopefully it's protecting them. Mm-hmm. At what point are you reliant completely on the government to tell you when or when it's not safe to stop wearing a mask? No. Because I feel like you can make this same argument with the flu or pneumonia. That every single year. So yeah. why would we not be also doing that exact same thing every flu season? I mean, in Arizona... All winter here, there's a ton of elderly people that can die from any of those types of illnesses. And they hit them much harder than... Yeah, that's true. And Arizona's COVID-19 deaths, as of yesterday, were 320, but the flu and pneumonia were 1,116. So, like, the difference... This year, was that the stats from another year? From 2017 to 2018. For the, yeah, for the season. Yeah. So, just to, just to be clear on what we're... Not, like, of all time. Saying... Right, so we don't know yet what a season of COVID-19 would be as far as deaths. Right. We also don't even know if those stats are accurate or not. No. Either direction. Either direction, honestly. Because you can take the side that, that you stated, Abby, of that numbers are being inflated by attributing COVID-19 as positive to even things that aren't really Mm -hmm. COVID-19. But there's also the argument of people could die from things that could have been caused by them having a COVID-19 infection and they never tested them, we never knew, whatever the case may be, and they might not get put on their death certificate that they were COVID-19, mm-hmm. but they really were. I mean, we... I think that's why they changed the, like, suspected COVID-19, because if they had any of those symptoms, that's right. why they were wanting to right. change that. And so but it's just... It just feels I think like you can't trust any of the numbers. That's what's frustrating about all of it, is that it feels yeah. like the data we're being given isn't reliable, and we're making these decisions for life mm-hmm. that... Um, really feel unfounded on much of anything. We know there's a sickness, we know people are dying from it, but that's not necessarily a new thing in our world. There's sicknesses Mm -hmm. that people die from all the time. So, um, I think it is somewhat worrisome that there's been such a push to try to keep I guess the problem is if once we are made to be fearful that we could be carrying some sort of sickness that we could pass to other people Mm -hmm. and that we need to not engage with others, that's something that's not going to just go away easily for people. Right. And if we can't know what, how should we ever be able to know if we're healthy or not? And if we can engage in society mm-hmm. in, an, in a normal way. I would argue that God created people to be social people, to, be, mm-hmm. to, to interact with each other and to use their facial expressions, to be able to talk to one another. And I think that keeping people spaced apart and keeping people with masks on and kind of instilling this fear that everybody could have this virus and you wouldn't even know it. And mm-hmm. I, and even the fear beyond that of, well, I'm not even fearful for myself, but I'm fearful like, well, what if I get sick and I then unknowingly pass it to Melissa because I'm an asymptomatic carrier and then she sees her grandma and, and her grandma gets sick and dies because I was at the grocery store on Thursday. I mean, I think that's the part that is really hard to know how to how to evaluate all of mm-hmm. this for me because I don't think that's how people and cultures and societies are supposed to operate and function. I don't think we're supposed to do it all from remote locations where we're just using the internet to interact. I think there's I can't quite 
put my finger on how you would explain it. There's, um, I mean, and I'm coming from a place where I felt a lot of this before we all lived together in community. What drew us to that was the artificial feeling that things like Facebook and Mm -hmm. Instagram and these social media type platforms create. They create like a a pseudo relationship. (laughs) (laughs) I'm even trying to stealthily uh, stand up and see whatever her kids are crying about and tripped over a laundry basket. <laughs> so it's always the worst. When you feel like it happens when you're trying to like go check on your baby who is sleeping yeah. and you're like trying to close the door quietly and it's like something happens and slam the door. Oh, well, I don't remember how to pause this, so I just get to keep talking. At least you're here with me taking a drink. Um... I think that for me a lot of this comes down to where who is pushing these different ideas of how to handle it and what their worldviews are and I think that ultimately that's what makes it incredibly difficult for me to be okay with a society that reopens all wearing masks and staying six feet apart is that I believe that this is coming down the like filtered through top people who are not honoring God who are not seeking to obey him in a lot of areas Mm -hmm. and who view themselves as the ones who are supposed to protect people and keep them safe and keep them from getting sick. And so when I see an illness, a virus, something that God is fully sovereign over, um, I'm not saying we don't take measures to love our neighbors, but when the measures that we're being told are the ones we need to take to love our neighbors, also cause so much destruction Mm -hmm. and put us in a place of feeling somewhat paralyzed over, well, if I am being made to look like I don't care about anyone, Mm -hmm. I'm being made to, to seem like I do want people to be sick. Like that's, that's just not true. There are other factors that go into everything. And so I think that's, what I keep coming back to of like it doesn't seem like a big deal on one hand and it's like well I should be loving to those around me um if they're afraid of this then I should just do this for them um and it sounds like for you it's not you genuinely are nervous that you could be contagious with something and so Well, I will also say I felt more like that at Gabe's previous job. And and I know it's not been two weeks since he's been gone, but just I I think that it has not that I know of anybody at his current job has tested positive. Did you ever find out? Do you know that he was specifically in contact with people who had tested positive or you just knew that there was people somewhere within the... Right. Not that I know of, but I knew that... The place where he was working, there was just a high chance that the people that he was, you know, giving dialysis to would eventually test positive. I think one of the hard things for me in this, too, has been... The confusion where the shift has taken place over in the beginning when we were all first starting the quarantine, the lockdowns, it was very much 
very clearly stated over and over that the reason for that was to flatten the curve, to not overwhelm our hospital systems. It was never about like preventing every, like, yeah, like preventing the virus from spreading because that there it's a virus, like it's not just going to disappear. So it was very much like we're just flattening the curve to not overwhelm our hospitals, to not happen. And what to prepare ha- our hospitals. Yes. To know to that gather we have up the supplies that we need. We have a plan in place. Yes. And so and we're going to take so two weeks to do that. Right. And then, and then it, it was two more weeks. And now it's like we're not even talking about flattening the curve anymore because we're just talking about somehow trying to stay in our homes until it no goes away. Well, that's because cases. they're waiting for the vaccine. Right, but when is that ever going to like when is that going to happen? January. That's so <laughs> we're going to just stay in our homes until January. Like I think that that's the other place then that gets into real sticky real fast because right. um if we're not willing to stand up and say a vaccine needs to be a choice as all medical care needs to be a choice, then, I mean, if if it's required that we stay in our houses and wear masks and stay six feet apart and until a vaccine arrives and then a vaccine arrives and nobody wants the vaccine, that's not gonna fly with the people who are Well, I think that we're houses. making it very clear to the government that we are willing to stay in our houses and we're willing to wear masks and we're willing to do whatever they tell us to do. And so, we're also willing to take a vaccine mandate, even if we don't want it. When she I says think that we're, we're, she's talking about the society as a whole. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm just saying, like, I think we're making it very clear as a society that we're willing to do whatever they tell us to do with little data to back that up. Right. Which makes me more untrusting of the entire situation. Yes. And I, I mean, I've said... You asked how I felt about this in the beginning, and I think this is something that has remained consistent in my feelings of, I definitely felt more nervous and scared of the government overreach that would take place than I did about the virus. I agree with that completely. Oh yeah, for sure. But I, <laughs> when, when everything first started, I just felt like excited, like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I've just always wanted to, like, when I read history, I, like, I've always wanted to, like, live in one of those, like, history-making times. And so... Melissa also <laughs> wants to find the hurricanes and the tornadoes <laughs> and... What part of, like, living in this time feels exciting to you? Uh, just all of it. Like, it's... I don't want to say, like, it's fun, but, like, I love staying home anyways, and... I don't know. The adventure I, of it? Yes, the drama yes, of, yes, like, yes, that, how it's all going to unfold. Yes, and yes. But I, I, do, I do have genuine concerns for people that are sick or, like, my mom's, you know, immunocompromised, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't want her to get it, and I think it is very serious. So it's not like I just think it's all fun and games. Right. But so it is really... show up at your house in January... Yes. Give them until March to realize that you're unwilling. Yes, to I definitely think we're gonna have to start coming up with, you know, and that's where I feel like the masks. Like, do I want to die on that hill? No. Like, I'd rather just put the mask on. But there are hills that I'm willing to die on, and but but I feel like this is the slope. People this who is are the, like, wanting to die over the masks are the ones who don't want it to get to that point in the first place. Right, and I totally get that. Like, I totally see that side of it. It's just, in my own personal opinion, I just don't see that, like, helping. Like, I don't... Okay, so if it goes into play that you have to wear a mask at all times outside, you and your children, no matter what, Uh you good with that for the indefinite future? I don't want that. But if they're mandated... If if it was mandated... At what point would you say... I'm not going to do this anymore. Well, I think it depends on, like... Like, is it worth, like, me going to jail for? Or having, well, like, you, my kids you, taken away? Like, Can you imagine living that way the rest of your life? With a mask on, you mean? Mm-hmm. No. Okay, so would there come a point if you 
didn't feel there was a serious threat of illness beyond what illnesses we already experience that you would say I'm not going to do this anymore Uh, you just hope that you would find that out at some (laughs) point I'm sure there would but I don't know it would just take a lot for me to get there when you see people at Superstition Ranch Market walking around not wearing masks and being close to elderly people, mm-hmm. what do you think about it? It doesn't bother me in the least. Really? It, And that's why, like I said, sometimes I just don't put mine on. And, and I don't even really... Like, it just doesn't bother me either way. <laughs> so, like, if I'm feeling like, oh, I should probably put it on, I will. And then do if you have I'm more like, than one mask? No. Do you wear different masks for different outfits? <laughs> no. Are your masks just an accessory? <laughs> but I, I do have a mask that has llamas on it, so. <laughs> it helps you want to put it on. But I sewed it upside down, so the llamas, <laughs> the llamas are upside down. Yeah. It's probably because it's a anti-llama, an anti-llama mask. <laughs> just put those llamas upside down like you don't even care about them. I do, like, the part that's exciting to me is also, like, I do see, I see this as kind of, like, the catalyst to possibly even the fall of our nation, and that is exciting to me, and when I think about, like, what God could be doing with his church in America and the world and, like, you know, separating the wheat from the chaff and, like, I don't know, that, I when I look at American church It's really sad to me. Like, it's really... So, what do you think the church's responsibility to be doing in this time is, then? I don't know. I haven't thought about that. (laughs) Because a church can't be strengthened by all submitting to the government. Oh, yeah. And what the government is just telling them to do. And right now, most churches aren't even... Meeting. Meeting at all. Yes, that is heavy. Um, I think that's been one of the things that has made me feel the most physically ill throughout the last several weeks on more than one occasion, or the thing that has made me want to cry Mm -hmm. the most is thinking of how few gatherings of believers there are in person, and this isn't in areas where, you know... (sighs) people the virus is breaking out all around and it's like well we need to really quarantine people away because people are getting sick this is like in places where there are almost no cases and almost no deaths they're still asking churches to consider not meeting and a lot of churches aren't and And, i mean there's some areas that they're not asking like they're demanding they don't meet or they'll arrest them yes we're Um, not in a state that is necessarily arresting people for meeting but it's definitely it's definitely not taboo yeah um yeah i i think Um, that's a whole other, I think there's a lot of people, probably a lot of people who, um, out of the people who listen to us talking, who wouldn't quite know what to think about, who haven't even had to make the decision because their church is just, their church is just not meeting. Mm -hmm. But, um, our church has continued to meet and we've continued to be there any time that we're healthy enough. We've had... Mm -hmm. Um, a couple of weeks where we've had other sickness, not coronavirus. Um, and I feel like I have never experienced quite the understanding of what um, the importance of gathering physically mm-hmm. is. And I think my heart has been way more burdened for believers in other yes. countries who aren't able to have that physical gathering, aren't able to partake of the Lord's Supper. Or have to do so underground or in a secretive way. Or I mean, I feel in like way that you hear about the like persecuted church and like the people who aren't able to gather. And I feel like it was always just this, like, well, we're in America, that's never going to happen here. 
and and like that's really sad and we should pray for them right but i i think it's just easy to take for granted and to just feel like this is just our normal there have definitely been weeks that we have been driving to church which we can't even meet in the building we used to meet in because they're not allowing anything to any activities that take place there um so we've been driving to a different church location and there have definitely been weeks that when driving there, you know, I'm just praying the whole way for our leadership, for everyone who's gathering, mm-hmm. knowing that, I, I mean, there's like half of me that'll be thinking, oh, we're still going to be fine. Like our state hasn't been that extreme. Like they're not going to do anything. And the other part of me is like, I would not even be surprised if the police show up today, like mm-hmm. a bunch of police and try to break this up and say we can't be here and yeah like what will we all do and how will we all respond and mm-hmm. um so and it, it does make you i i think i've always appreciated and valued so much our elders and their like willingness to look biblically at a variety of different controversial topics but this is one that i feel like has taken a lot of courage and just definitely feels like they are uh, swimming against the. Yes, I mean I feel like that every time I go to like the extreme. grocery store, like that I can't imagine the weight that they have been carrying over the last month and a half of like continuing to have us meet, and I feel like they are doing a really good job at encouraging healthy things and trying to, you know use extra hand sanitizer and do extra precautions that we normally wouldn't do on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of those is even they've asked people in our body who are a part of the medical community or work in the medical field to not come. Mm -hmm. And so you guys haven't been coming, Melissa. And how has that felt for you guys? Um, It's definitely sad. It's definitely hard and um, I mean, again, it started it. out as like, you know, this is for a couple of weeks. This is mm-hmm. just, and then now it's like drug on and on. Yeah. And um, do you know, has, has Gabe talked to them at all with his job change? I have no idea. Okay. Um, because it does get hard. Like, mm-hmm. we have at least two nurses who directly do work with COVID patients mm-hmm. um, or in the emergency room and could come into contact mm-hmm. with them at any time. And so, but there's also a part of me that's wondering how to balance. I think, I think our leadership is available and willing to minister to them even in person anytime. Mm-hmm. Even if, oh, yeah. Um, and many, I mean, I think there are some of us in the body who wouldn't have any problem being, like, fellowshipping with them, mm-hmm. um, knowing that they're taking precautions in the mm-hmm. sense that they're wearing protective equipment when they're with patients, they're coming home and showering, like, it's not like they're gonna mm-hmm. just come and throw their dirty scrubs in your face or something. <laughs> um... But, yeah, it's definitely... I hope you guys start coming back soon, because... Yeah, me too. It also feels like the, the longer you aren't in that routine of mm-hmm. meeting... It's like, in one way, you miss it more. In another way, it can be easy to just sort of fall out of mm-hmm. feeling really connected and... Um, yeah. I think that for me, it's definitely been just convicting on even just how many times in the last year I've been like, oh, I don't really want to go. And, you know, I, every time we, I feel like that and we go to church, I feel like God is always faithful in growing something, teaching me something. But I think that it's just been really convicting for me to just realize how much I've taken for granted the assembly and how important mm-hmm. it is to gather as the church and not just I mean 
live streams are great. Watching sermons online are great. All of that is great, but it isn't church. And I think that we, that needs to be said. Like, it isn't just because you're watching a sermon at home online doesn't mean... Even more than the sermon, even if you're participating in uh, worship and, yes. like, songs. But And there's a lot of churches that, I mean, this is a whole, a whole other issue. I strongly disagree with partaking of the Lord's Supper apart from each other. Yes. Um, there are too. some people who don't. There are a lot of churches that are still doing communion over Facebook Live. Um, and so obviously you're just going to have contra- controversial opinions on that. Um, I just don't think it's what was intended. And I, I think there's a lot of believers who take that very seriously around the world and who don't participate in Lord's Supper very often because they don't have the opportunity to. Mm-hmm. Um, what about being subject to the authority? Romans 13. And First Peter 2, both of those. Um, I thought... <laughs> This is going to get me into more trouble, so I might as well just... Um, We've opened up, like, half-open multiple cans of worms. I know. So let's just well, <laughs> jump deep. Um, I was watching the... What they call it? Some sort of rally in Idaho. And okay. I watched Douglas Wilson's oh, okay. five-minute yeah. portion of what he was talking yeah. about. That's the part that is controversial. (laughs) Um, But he was talking about that um, governors are appointed by God, but they are to be doing good and um, not be... They're supposed to be basically upholding righteousness Mm -hmm. and um so he was making the argument that we've turned like that in this there's been a shift of now the governing authorities are not doing the good of the people of idaho he was very specific that it was Mm -hmm. the people in the community Mm -hmm. he was talking about not i think that's been one of the problems i think we, we were talking about that that when you have such drastic measures being put into place in places where there isn't actually an emergency mm-hmm. because there could be an emergency. Mm-hmm. That's when things kind of get scary because there's a lot of ways that there could be emergencies all the time. And if we hand over that responsibility and right for the government to keep us safe all the time mm-hmm. and not allow us to have responsibility, that's when things get a little dicey. Yeah. So, um, he was just kind of making the point that, you know, we do need to have responsibility and that as believers, it's not necessarily wrong to be calling out when the authorities are no longer doing good on the behalf of the people mm-hmm. and are now causing harm. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, it'll be interesting. I want to know how many of you guys are like Melissa and are excited for the downfall of America. (laughs) (laughs) It has definitely made me think a lot more about just the American church and... I agree. What what we have... I do. I think that there's a huge opportunity for refinement. Yeah. And I feel like it's these types of, I mean, if you look over history, it's these types of things that have to take place in order for that to happen. I mean, um, when you think about that, I know we've discussed it a little bit. Um, what types of, has it spurred you on to practical things with your kids? to try to prepare them in the event that they're separated from you, in the event that they don't have the same food that they've always known, yeah, um, those types of things. 
I don't think we've talked much to our kids about being separated from us. Um, we yeah, definitely... We haven't talked about that with our kids. Oh. Um, I didn't know if there's ways that practically the... I think though... practically it's just spurred me on as a mom to be more diligent in training my kids in areas that I was maybe more lax in and kind of like, oh, yeah, I mean, I have how many more years with them to work on this area? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, one easy example is memorizing scripture and then putting that memorization of scripture into play at appropriate times. Like, for example, when my kids come out of their bed because they're scared at night, like reciting that verse with them, not just when we memorized it during family worship time, but going over that verse of like, this is how that be strong and courageous. This is how that applies to this situation and what you're feeling now and trying to help them to just lean on God's word and know and God's know word. and not just memorize it, but know how, how it to, applies yeah, to, to their life. Apply it. And I think just trying to be more diligent in that aspect of training, but also in for my for my kids, especially with like my oldest boy of like trying to encourage him in being a man and caring for his younger siblings and what that can look like. And as far as like food goes, I feel like we've been trying to, obviously we always want to have a grateful heart for the food that we have, but I think it's, it has opened up more opportunities with food to have more discussions with my kids on, we're not buying the same foods that we typically do or certain foods are harder to find in the store and not wasting food. Um, I think that we didn't waste a ton of food, but it felt, you know, less like a big deal to throw away a couple bites of dinner, you know. And so I think we're trying to just be more diligent in that. Yeah. I think we've kind of taken the same approach of just trying to point out throughout the day just things to be thankful for Mm -hmm. and things to where who God is in all of this in in life not just in the coronavirus stuff but trying to watch for opportunities to just reiterate the truth of God being at the center of everything Mm -hmm. and um, that he's our hope he's our joy he's our peace he's with us um and that you know um the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge ships been going over that with our kids mm-hmm. um just trying to establish even more it there just feels like there's more of an urgency kind of like you're saying of um which I'm really grateful for. I am thankful for that because it should be the reality that they should be, that those things should be urgent to impart to our children, no matter what's going on. But when we feel comfortable and we feel, I mean, even in our own lives, it's easy to not place that importance on these things when we're kind of right. Strolling through life without many cares, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, that's where where we're at, I think. Um. I think ultimately we have to come to grips with what are we, like, fearing and what are we idolizing. And I think that this whole thing has definitely revealed a lot of idols in my own life and in my own heart. And... um, but I think it comes down to we can't we can't fear death. Like right. every person dies. Everyone does. Whether it's from coronavirus or from something else. Not that we want somebody to get something and die, but death can't be the ultimate fear. But what this situation, I think, especially for believers, needs to conjure up in us is an urgency to be sharing, sharing the gospel and mm-hmm. an urgency to be training our kids in these things and I mean I really think that when it all when it comes down to it um my biggest conflict is 
how is the church and how am I myself responding, but um, the churches as a whole, um, I think I land on the place that I don't, I don't trust the government, I don't trust what they're saying, and I do think that the church doesn't need to be in rebellion towards the government, but needs to not be silenced and not be stopped and be wise with how they're going about things. But mm-hmm. that um, I'm really praying that, you know, churches rise up. I don't, I think they're, I, I kind of, I don't know, I, I'm guessing you both would agree with this, but to some level, I, I don't want this to just end. I don't want it to just like, Next week, them everyone say, "Well, we are just kidding. It looks like everything's mm-hmm. fine, and you guys can just go back to life as normal." I, I do think there needs to be a shift. What I think the shift needs to be, though, is that I think I'm praying that people will be awakened to the gospel and wanting to live out God's law, mm-hmm. and um, that there needs to be some sort of kind of noticeable repentance mm-hmm. of our nation and of our churches. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And and it feels like at this point, not to be like a doomsdayer, but like it feels like it's going to take a lot, a lot of brokenness and a lot mm-hmm. of really tearing down our idols, like you're saying, mm-hmm. um, on a deep level, not yeah. on. And I think we can see that coming in the future. Mm-hmm. And I don't really... I don't really know why at this point God would would stop that from happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so, I don't know. From that aspect, I think Melissa's excited about that. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm excited in the sense that I want God to be glorified in our country, and I don't know how else. I think we've fallen so far away and Mm -hmm. we're at a place where we celebrate such abominations of abortion of transgenderism of homosexuality of just taking these amazing things that god has created and our culture just has trampled on it Mm -hmm. and um it's just has become incredibly brazen about it all Mm -hmm. just um and it almost feels like God really does need to bring some heaviness to get people's attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us as believers, we need to be ready and prepared to continue when our comforts are stripped away to be living in the joy of the Lord and not in mm-hmm. the wealth he's surrounded us with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was thinking the other day, um, when we were eating one of our Sabbath dinner meals and, you know, we're eating this just all sort like really good meat and all sorts of vegetables and homemade bread and we're having sparkling cider and wine and we're, we have a dessert and I'm thinking, you know, it might not be like this forever. Like there's a really good chance it won't. And how am I going to still be able to... Like, like I almost want to start thinking now of the little things that we can do to still impart God's love and care to our kids mm-hmm. and help them to see the beauty he's made. And I was thinking about how it could be, like, there's stuff as simple as, like, I don't know. Now that I'm about to say this, <laughs> it feels a little weirder than it does in my head. But, like... Going outside and, like, picking one sprig of a flower for, like, each person and setting it at their plate. Mm -hmm. And we might only get to eat, like, tuna fish and, I don't know, crackers or something. But, and then I was thinking, oh, and in the desert, we a lot of times don't even have flowers. And we could pick out, like, everybody go out and pick out a special rock and, like... (laughs) Like, let's look at and just, like, discover, like, how the beauty God made in each of these rocks even. Like, there's so much God has gifted us with all around us in his creation that, you know, it seems like when you are living in abundant wealth, it's like 
it, it takes like so much more than to even be satisfied sometimes in our oh, yeah. pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just hoping that we can all like and praying that we can all continue to just see God, God's gifts and um, his kindness to us even if circumstances are really hard and unpleasant and so all right great gonna wrap this thing up how long do we go you gonna make any promises for next week's episode (sighs) nope okay (laughs) great thanks for coming melissa thanks for having me he forced you just admit (laughs) it bye